Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. listening to Radio Maria. We are live this evening and we have an extra special Just Life programme, unusually for this time of evening. Um, but I hope you'll be as glad as I am to welcome Dr. Kathleen Kelly is going to join us this evening. She's going to speak to us about her life of faith and her life of faith as a psychiatrist. Um, Dr. Kelly, can you hear me? Are we on air? Yes, evening. Evening, Aileen. Great, I can hear you. And do you mind if I call you Kathleen? Please, yeah, Kathleen. Yeah, lovely. So, well, uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for coming. This Just to let our listeners know, this has been a very... Um, we've only discussed this this evening, haven't we? Because we've got this special yeah. marathon time where as a radio, we are um, asking listeners to donate to keep the radio going in England. And um, and it's a celebration of the radio. And it's really a pleasure to have you with us here this evening. Thank you. Lovely. No, it's a really a pleasure to be here, Aileen. So Kathleen... Tell us about uh, tell us about yourself um, a little bit about your faith and also how that links with your life your, your your vocation and how you became a doctor and a psychiatry psychiatrist. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Aileen. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, so I was born of a, an Irish Catholic father and an English uh, Church of England mother, um, but was brought up in the Catholic faith. Um, and I suppose one of the one of the earliest things the draw towards to God in my faith was my um, father's mother. So she was um, she was very spiritual. Um, she taught me to to pray the rosary in my early teens, um, and I had a, a profound effect on me. Um, then, as a as a late teenager. Um, in my parish, St. Joseph's in Aylesbury, Buckinghamshire, um, a deacon arrived uh, in the parish and brought a new sort of um, energy and life and um, almost brought the gospel alive in a youth group. And that that had a, a big effect on me. Um, and that's first where I became very familiar with Matthew. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. And I, I've come back to that time many in my life that... Um, um, gospel reading. Uh, alongside all this, I've often felt a, been drawn into caring. So um, um, a, a great aunt was a mother superior in a convent near Hillingdon, and it taught uh, children who were deaf and blind. This was in the late 70s. 
And I felt a real draw and an interest in the lives and their experiences, these children. Um, and then at 18, I had to wait a year to get into medicine and I worked in an asylum in South Wales, uh, which was one of, you know, one of the old asylums, locked wards, etc. Um, and that also had a, a, a big effect on me. Um, and so once I started um, studying medicine, uh, the next thing was an uncle of mine. So on my mother's side, she was Church of England. And her sister had married a, a vicar from Madras. And he was, um, he talked with me about social justice. He was very uh, concerned for social justice and, you know, would talk to me about making sure I worked with disadvantage, etc. So this, so I graduated in medicine and then um, I trained to be a GP. My last placement was in psychiatry and I, it was an absolutely, um, it was an illuminating experience um, being a trainee psychiatrist for six months because I saw how these doctors were with rather than doing to a patient. And, and that really struck me. Um, sitting with a patient, the privilege of hearing people's stories, um, the humility you feel that somebody would actually open up their sorrows or deepest pains, fears to you. Um, alongside that, then an um, overwhelming gratitude for the gifts that I'd been given, that I could sit and listen and, and that I could um, tolerate and listen to um, uh, very difficult stories but also something of awe of uh, uh, of a person's strength and their journey. Um, and that awe almost making you feel as small as, as this patient does in a, you know, on a psychiatric ward or in a system. Um, so I switched to psychiatry. No longer was I gonna be a GP, but I trained in psychiatry. And, and um, I'm, doing some some training around spiritual direction and the parallels that I see now with what I first saw that struck me um, in my 20s, in my first psychiatry post. Um, you know, in spiritual direction, we're called to be with, alongside, both facing God um, and looking to the spirit to move between. Um, and I, so I find that as well to be quite a, a, a humbling concept, the idea of walking alongside um, someone else. Um. Thank you so much. The, um, can I ask you a few questions about what you've spoken about there, Kathleen? The, mm -hmm. You mentioned that your, your aunt, who was a, a religious sister, cared for mm -hmm. death and blind children. Did you spend mm -hmm. time with those children? So what, yes, what would happen is my, it was, it was a great aunt. She would invite us for, um, if there were, on, particularly on a Sunday where there'd be a tea and then we would sit with, with, the, with children um, uh, who resided in the school. And so it was a sort of a sitting alongside because I was still, you know, I didn't have any experience of, of children with those sensory deprivations and just didn't, you know, didn't really know what to do or say, but being alongside, being with, having tea, um, and, you know, there'd, there'd be a bit of buzz around the place as well. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I didn't feel I 
had any skills or, or you know, could do an awful lot except for just be, be you know, be a child with other children. Um, but, um, but yeah, there was a draw and uh, something around not just an interest, but a but a love and a and a being with, rather than a fascination of their condition. That's really interesting because when you were speaking, I was thinking about that being alongside and being with. And I don't know if you've come across midwifery uh, midwives talk about being with women. Um, you know, that's mm. one of the phrases they use. And and I was thinking, why medicine and not nursing? Like, uh, did you ever think about nursing? Was it always medicine that drew you? Well, this this is this is um, the, here now comes my ego, Eileen. So, <laughs> a Catholic a Catholic Irish father, four girls. He had a nurse. He had a teacher. He had a lawyer. So I was to be the doctor. <laughs> So my oldest sister had already started nursing, so I wasn't allowed that one. So it was one, it so was one of the others. So you were do something different. Yeah. And, it, and it must have felt like, I mean, it's a great achievement, wasn't it? You know, um, there are lots of women in medicine now and less so, what, 30 years ago. Yeah, and I think I was came from a family, you know, there weren't doctors in the family uh, you know, and I didn't go to a private school. So I think there were quite a few, you know, then I think still a lot of um, medical students would have been from uh, private schools um, or had mums and dads that were doctors, you know. So yeah. it was, they knew, they were very sort of confident with what they were doing and, um, uh, yeah. So I'm going to play us some music and and then we'll move on to the next phase of your, um, of what you've got to, to tell us about. And the music I'm going to play is called Rescue by Lauren Daigle. Rescue by Lauren Daigle, and we have a familiar name and voice for us here on Radio Maria. Um, that is John. John, you're on air. Hello there. Hello, Kathleen. Hello. Good evening, John. Ah, oh, good evening. Yes, I was just saying to. Uh, I was just saying that uh, I'm very interested in what you've been saying, in particular the fact that. Uh, you know, you, you've seen the old asylums and you've seen how they work and you've seen the development of psychiatry over the years. And um, I was just wondering what your opinion is about the way uh, drug therapy has changed. Um, now, the reason I'm asking this question is because I myself have seen the asylum side of psychiatry and I've seen the modern approach to psychiatry as well, but I've seen it from the other side from you. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. So basically, um, when I was first became involved with psychiatry, I was about 18. Mm-hmm. And um, they they gave me, well, they assumed that I, I was schizophrenic at the time. And they gave me a, a drug called Largactyl. Mm-hmm. Now, Largactyl had the effect on me of making me feel very, very low in my mood and mm-hmm. very, very, you know, very low in my spirits as well. Uh, but, um, I mean, obviously, my, my faith was of enormous, enormous help when I was in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the actual, um, the drug Largactyl that they gave me made me feel very bad indeed. And um, I was just wondering how you feel um, that psychiatry has developed from that that particular drug and that particular type of drug in the form of, in using that as using that in treatment. Yeah, no, so that's a really good question, John. Thank you for for sharing that experience. I think that um, psychiatry has changed enormously, and that we now have we do have better drugs. But added on to that, so we would no longer use Largactyl, but right. as well as the as well as the better drugs, there is a much more holistic approach to recovery. So yeah. recovery w- wouldn't just be an absence of um, of symptoms, but recovery would be, um, you know, what makes your day worthwhile? What is it that you would need in your day? Um, yeah. To, sort to of be walking f- alongside, yeah. Yes, I mean, to I, be I, living- I have noticed that. I have noticed, because you, you mentioned about you felt the you felt that like uh, humility. You felt humility in in taking the approach of actually just walking alongside your yeah. the person the person that you were dealing with, and yeah. that to me is a major change. I mean, because in my day mm-hmm. when I when I was in, involved, um, you saw the doctor once a week. Uh, you spent about five minutes with him, and then you were dismissed like a like a little schoolboy, yeah, and put back yeah. on the ward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, I mean, th- th- that had to change, and I'm so glad that it has. Yeah, uh, because of and because now, of the people, yeah, because of what the yeah. kind of work that you're doing, yeah. Yeah, thank so, you, John. And now, now, and now, I'll say a bit more, a bit about psychiatry that I think will interest you as well. A bit more about. Yeah, the I'm practice. sure you do. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you do. Yeah, but I'm sure yeah. we haven't got time to go into that now. No, no. Well, I'll, well, I'll, I'll carry on. Um, Aileen, shall I, shall I talk a little bit more then about about working in the NHS in psychiatry? Yeah, because I think that develops what you've asked, John. John, thank you so yes. much for calling. It's okay, good to hear from you. Okay, thank you very much. God bless. Thank you very thank much, you, and thank you to you. God bless you too. Bye now. Mm-hmm. So back over to you, Kathleen. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question about what has changed, and 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 John thinking about uh, walking alongside. And um, one of the big changes I've seen is that when I first started, I would never mention my faith. I would never mention that I was a Christian, a Catholic, um, and also you never discussed with a patient their faith. So. 
And in in some of the books, you know, if someone started praying or um, started turning more to God, reading sacred scripture more, that could be a sign of them um, losing touch with reality, i.e. being psychotic. And we've seen a change recently because now the public sector requires um, organisations to promote understanding between people of faith and no faith. So that's opened the door for um, what we now have in our organisation, a religion and spirituality staff support network. And so um, I'm absolutely thrilled that I, that I helped to run this. And staff bring their experiences. We share common themes that we have between faiths. Um, and even though it's held on teams, sometimes as we sit together, it is as if we're in, in the upper room and Pentecost and the Spirit is amongst us because there is um, a joy and a feeling of love and an acknowledgement of the transcendent, which is a is a wonderful experience between between us. Um, and so through this, it's sort of I've discovered a new way of being with others at work. Um, and there's something about being authentic and being able to bring uh, the part of my life that brings um, so much joy and 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 happiness to me and uh, meaning and to be authentic and bring that to work feels then like I'm a, a whole person at work and I can be a whole person. Um, and so in the team that I work in, um, I'm able now to sort of talk about faith and share faith and you may know, Eileen, that many staff in the NHS have trained abroad, especially in working in psychiatry, and um, and often ethnic minoritized staff have higher rates of religiosity following a faith. And so hearing about some of the nurses in my team and some of the, the junior doctors that come into the team, opening up a faith conversation and hearing about their faith it uh, feels like an honour because I know what a personal and and beautiful thing it is and that um, people sometimes take a risk to, to tell someone else about it because they don't know how it's going to be received. And then it's almost like a sort of a, a love that is then between. That may sound a bit soppy. I don't mean it to be soppy, but a sort of a genuine love that that sort of transcends differences and obviously there's power differentials you know doctors nurses whatever else is going on in the mix um so that is that is really um that's that's a really beautiful thing the sharing of the faith i'm really surprised by what you've said there kathleen i didn't expect that your faith and this network of staff that has been created has affected working relationships. And those working relationships are so important, especially in the NHS at the moment, mm -hmm. aren't they? Because the, mm -hmm. the, of the challenges. Can I ask you a little bit more about that? The, so you've said that the, with this development of relationship and you said you feel more authentic, you bring your full self to work. Would you feel that only with the staff that you are that you interact with in this uh, special upper room? Is it particularly with those staff, or does it spill out beyond that as well? Yeah, I think um, I think there's something about 
you know, all these little ants, you know, working together. That's one way that I kind of see it. Um, I'm very interested in Teresa of Avila's um, uh, um, writings where she talks about God amongst the pots and pans. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, what that helps me to do at work is see the the small tasks, the menial tasks, the everyday tasks that I'm doing in a team being um, gifts offered to God, being done in the grace of God. And I think that then changes relationships with people I'm working with. So the relationships with, so that when, um, you know, when I, when I arrive at work, I will, you know, say hello to the pharmacist walking down the corridor, um, uh, with head down, maybe checking the phone before he's about to start work, but I'll say hello. It, it, I feel I feel more connected with staff at work and more more liable to say hello, to say good morning, to connect with them in a on a sort of a personal level. Um, and and it helps when when the pots and pans are really dirty and the whole place is really chaotic and there's you know, a lot of noise or there's um, there are problems going on around beds because I work in the emergency department and it can be quite, you know, quite a frantic environment. And I think um, having that regard for the person in front of you, um, whether it's the nurse in charge or a, or a, a, a different colleague, um, does really help to have something about... Um, it's 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 bigger than respect. It it does feel slightly like love. I mean, it doesn't with all staff, but this idea that there's this um, respect for, um, and that there is this you know this beautiful soul inside in which God resides. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it's not like that all the time, is it? And, you know, there are there are, but but I think it does spill over. Yes, because. Um, because of that respect for the human person, that love of the human person, and um, we've had yeah. uh, we've had um, a sister, a, a young sister from the community of Our Lady of Walsingham, who um, speaks for us once a month on our Credo program called Sister Catherine, and she has been talking about how we're all called to be saints, and mm -hmm. our lives. And what we, I kind of think of us as lay people sometimes as our, we're like the fingertips of the church that go out into the world and touch mm -hmm. the people right outside of the of the church doors. And that, to me, you're bringing that alive in your work. When you're doing your work and with this insight that you and the encounter with God, I suppose, and with the people that you've had the support from in this group, have you, um, you mentioned menial tasks. Do you also find that when your menial tasks, you know, the forms you have to fill in and, and you know, the, the drug sheets that need to be signed or, or inputted mm. into the computer, do you see that differently as well, as well as the interactions with people? Is it also those tasks that have indirect impact? Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a slight, there's a slight, um, humility that comes into play i think um and i you know i think previously i my ego would have been a bit more pumped up about uh you know what what am i doing this sort of job for or whatever uh, and in our team you know it's all hands to the deck when when it's busy and there wouldn't be um i could as easily do an assessment that the nurse was doing um 
you know, if we were short of staff, I would just be doing that that assessment that the nurse is doing. They're very skilled. Um, and so, um, so I think there is a, yeah, the, the ego deflates a little bit, makes a bit of space for something else um, so that um, we all contribute. Um, because uh, th that that can be, you know, burnout's a real thing, isn't it? And, you know, the older you get or the longer you are in an institution, um, uh, you know, that's that's a very difficult thing. Um, and especially when there are IT problems repeatedly, you know. But I think if you are seeing yourself as a smaller cog, um, not more significant than the, than the next, I think that can really help. Um, and of course, in God's eyes, we're all exactly the same. So I'm I'm not I'm not more entitled at work than the next person just because I'm a consultant. I can see how yeah I can see the in my mind's eye the difference that makes when people all people start to behave in that way. But I suppose especially for you in a leadership position, actually, that role modelling is also really important for the team, the wider you know your own doctor's mm. team but also the staff around you mm. before we go to the next bit of music um you mentioned um the spirit religious uh, the staff support network the religious and spiritual group is that just christians or is it does it go broader does it include people who are not religious yeah who who are they yeah, so um, so because it's to promote understanding between people of faiths and no faith. So in the group, yes, we have, um, I think we'd be mostly Christians, Catholics and um, Church of England. Um, we have um, obviously Muslims, Hindus. We don't have any way, anyone from the Jewish faith yet in our group. but we And we have um, uh, a couple of pagans attend. And then we also have people of no faith. So there's a couple of people that attend and sometimes will say, you know, um, will we'll, we'll sometimes make comments about sort of awe about this faith and about the hope. Um, and what we what we try and do is we, we would have we would have a different topic whenever we meet. Um, and from that, we then look to see where our commonalities are, where are the themes are that bring us together. Um, that, that we share um, in terms of, you know, worshipping or with regard to the transcendent. Um, so, um, and we also um, naturally have quiet times. The first, the second time we met, um, there was a, a silence that lasted about five minutes. And, you know, I couldn't believe it and thought this was the worst thing possible. You know, no one was saying anything, but actually it, it gave space. It was, it was beautiful. Thank you so much. I have some music to play again, Kathleen. This is Our God Saves and it's by Paul Balash. So we will play that now. And dear listener, we have some time for a, a call or two as well.
This is Just Life. You are listening to Radio Maria and we have Dr. Kathleen Kelly with us, psychiatrist who works in accident and emergency from Oxford. Kathleen, you're back on air. We're looking forward to hearing hearing your next phase to speak to speak to us about. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Aileen. Thank you. Um, yeah, so if I if I now start again post-COVID, really. So post-COVID, the landscape was quite difficult in the NHS. I was working in the emergency department, the John Radcliffe in Oxford. Um, one of the difficulties working in the emergency department is that you don't have long, long-term relationships with patients. So you see patients as a one-off on on a, a journey, and you see them in a crisis time, um, and um, burnout was was starting to become um, more prevalent. Um, pressure to find beds, uh, you know, a lot of people ending up in the emergency department and staff being stressed. And I went on a retreat, a silent retreat at the Carmelite Priory in Boars Hill, Oxford. Um, and on this retreat, God gave me a companion. So I met a woman who, um, without knowing it, was uh, walking along uh, the road to Emmaus with me. Uh, and yet my heart would burn when we would talk um, about um, about the spirit, about our faith, about... Um, uh, scriptures and about the mystical saints I was starting to learn and it was she that said to me um, you know you should train as a spiritual director um, that being a spiritual guide would would um, um, may well be your vocation I wasn't quite sure but I started and Father Alex prior at um, the Carmelite um, Priory um, uh, allowed me in and um, and it's been transformational in my career. You know, as a 57-year-old in the NHS, having worked there for 30 years, a lot of my colleagues um, have retired. Um, but what it's done is given me, um, well, it's, it's, I've discovered God even more inside my soul than I knew before. Um, and so starting to know the saints and, and realizing that they walk alongside me. So... Teresa of Avila was just a formidable woman who opened numerous, you know, convents, uh, sorted out builders, banks, everything, um, and yet still had every time every day to be on her own with God in prayer. Um, and one of the things I love is the is her creative and fun side. So she would have creative time with her nuns, and and that's one of the things that I always try and do with my team when I'm working in ED, that we would try and have a bit of fun. And one thing we do is a 10-minute stretch where we stretch our necks, upper body, and our legs a bit. And that always creates enormous laughter, as you can imagine, doing that in scrubs. Um, so Teresa of Avila is, is, is being a great friend. The next great friend is um, John of the Cross and his, um, his absolute... Um, he is uh, he is assured of the of the fact that God loves us all and holds us in his in his hand um, and um, St John has been incredibly important to me starting to learn about him um, and and the the sort of the dignity of the soul and the dignity of the individual um, 
And so part of part of Teresa and John really have have um, um, have have sort of set my faith alive again. Actually, having sort of had various times in my life where it's been in more of a lull period, and it's um, it's enabled me to to have more hope. And I think hope is an incredible thing. Um, it is a gift, really, when you're in a situation where a lot of people are cynical, tired, um, frustrated, and and display um, many behaviours that show that they don't want to be there. And I think um, part of that hope is that God has a plan and that, um, you know, I may have my head down amongst these pots and pans and the IT problems and whatever else is going on, but that God has a plan for me. But then not only does he have a plan for me, there's something about him having a plan for um, the other people that I'm with, the patients I'm with. Um, and something about that then... It, it sort of takes a weight off my shoulder. Of course, I must be upskilled, keep up to date with knowledge, you know, um, be fit at work and do a good assessment and, you know, think holistically about the patient. But actually, I, I don't have to solve everything. And that um, the person that is in front of me who's told the, 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 their story, who who I'm trying to, to decipher what may be helpful now, there is still a, a mystery about that person um, that, that I won't be able to understand um, and that this person is held in, in God's hands and that um, I may not be able to see at which point they are on their recovery. Um, and of course, I won't see most people I don't see again. Um, and so there's something about me again, being humble again and doing what I can within the confines of my practice um, and um, and not despairing if I don't solve everything and not being so full of ego that I think I have solved something. Um, uh, and so, you know, to a certain extent, it means that you, you probably end up prescribing less, prescribing less drugs because you take a more holistic approach thinking about the patient um, and part of that is is trying to decipher what what gives meaning and purpose, and that then opens up a conversation. Um, what gives meaning and person um, purpose? Do you have a faith? So that would be part of my assessment, um, and that's in the guidelines for the from the Royal College of Psychiatrists that where appropriate, uh, a conversation and exploration about someone's spiritual practices or faith may be appropriate. Um, and then the, the, the most important things there are to consider um, how their illness has prevented them um, practicing their faith. So if, if someone's depressed and um, isolating themselves, they may avoid going to church on a Sunday because they'll see too many people, it'll be too overwhelming. Um, if someone's concentration is affected from anxiety, it may be hard to concentrate reading um, sacred texts, um, gospel, whatever, um, and it may make silent prayer difficult. And then the second thing you assess is how their spiritual practices could help them in recovery. 
So uh, you then start to think about the sorts of things um, that help. What have they turned to before it in times of need? Um, and it, it may be that, um, you know, a practice such as the, as the rosary, they may not have done for many, many years, but that's something or um, or even just having a cross. So we, we work with the chaplaincy in the hospital as well. Um, and so if we knew that I had a particular patient who was very fearful, she was needing to be admitted, but she was staying another night in the emergency department. And we spoke with chaplaincy and they came and met with her and spoke with her and they're able to give her a small wooden cross that she could hold. Um, and she had, I mean, she hadn't requested it and it was just something that they brought with them just in case. Um, and she found that a great comfort to hold that. Um, so we try and work as, as with chaplaincy. One of the biggest tasks though is trying to um, open up the team's awareness to chaplaincy and and um, and give staff confidence to ask that question. Um, what gives meaning and and do you have a faith? And of course, if someone says no, then you know that's that's the end of the conversation. But if it's a yes, then it might be that you can link them into um, a chaplain just to help with their with their stay in the emergency department. So the um, this clinical practice that is um, proper clinical practice, the did the spiritual direction course um, give you more comfort, confidence to ask these questions? Would you do it more frequently now because of that comfort or... Or had you always done this, Kathleen? Is it? Um, I, 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 I. No, I. You're, you're, you're spot on, Aileen. It's since starting the course, actually. Yeah, because I think I actually, um, I, I sort of feel that it's no longer a choice of mine <laughs> to do or not to do. I think that it's. Um, in a way, it's this calling again to to be alongside, to try and understand the experience, to listen, um, and um, and you you need to invite a person to do that because they they're quite sure that doctors um, and maybe nurses don't they're not there for that. Yeah. And I... so you you need to to give um, give that hospitality hold that sacred space make that an oasis um and 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 invite the person um because it's a risk to to for them to share um to share something that's so personal and 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 dear to them i think it i know you and i have had some conversation about this and um one of the things that's happened in in, well, maybe it's always been the case in medicine, but certainly nursing, it was less of this, that when we think of the person, we think of a biopsychosocial mm -hmm. person, but we don't have sp spiritual added on to that. And mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts about that, that what you're doing and what the clinical guidelines are saying now, at least in psychiatry, is to include this spiritual aspect of the human person, whether somebody has religion or not, Um do you think we need to think of, add that on to our biopsychosocial understanding of the human person? Yes, I mean, and I think that's where you know asking someone what gives meaning, purpose to their life is 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 quite illuminating. Um, I think that um, 
I think that, um, yeah, spiritual has been left behind in the last sort of hundred years as we've become much more focused on science. Um, and, um, but I think it's, it, you know, it, it's very hard when, when staff lack that confidence and, 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 and don't have the language really. And of course, um, people at times of illness turn to faith and it may be that, you know, they hadn't been to church since they were 16 or something, but there can be something very strong inside that, um, that, that, that guides and that is, that is beyond words. And I, th and I think, um, helping a patient to access that at a time of need is, you know, is down to healthcare staff like you and I, yeah. So important. And of course, beyond psychiatry as well, although I think psychiatry maybe will lead the way on this. The um, yes, yeah. yes, and I think, you know, in palliative care, of course, end of life care, there's there would be um, a lot more um, interest on thinking holistically and thinking spiritually where it's where, you know, questions come to mind. What is the purpose? What is the meaning? Um, but in a lot of other other areas of medicine, it's just sort of you're compartmentalized. You know, you're a surgical procedure that needs to happen, or you're a chest that needs to um, that needs to be sorted. It really struck me as well that you were saying with the spiritual direction training that also you became relieved of some burden. So almost by relieving yourself of a burden of more responsibility than than you you could or ought to bear that then you were released to have this other space to just consider other aspects of, of the patients the people that you were that you were seeing I was thinking it it reminds me of Jesus saying his um his yoke is easy and his burden light yeah 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 and also that you know there's something about God's hand and God being alive now in creation that God is working, and um, and 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 I I may not know the way in which I'm the difference I'm making or how I'm working, but that God God has a plan, and um, the trust in that, having trust and faith in that, yeah. Well, Dr. Kathleen Kelly, we are so glad and appreciative of you giving your time at such such short short. Huh such short notice this evening um and so it's a little oh, gift I've loved, <laughs> I've loved it Aileen it's been it's been really it's been you know I met you on the spiritual direction course and we're on that journey and it's um and it's um it's it's, it's a privilege to be able to share some of my story it's it really has thank you so much well as a as a gift back to you um, I know that this hymn is very um central to the spiritual direction program that we've been following it's the servant song so i'm going to play that and say good night and god bless to you kathleen yeah good night god bless aileen brother sister let me serve you let me be as christ to Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too.